Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Subnet Show. I'm your host, Gabriel Cardona. I was off last week, and I want to express gratitude for uh, to Connor for stepping up and pushing the ball forward. I watched the episode, and it was super great. I enjoyed it a lot. In fact, I went back and added deep links to all the different timestamps for the questions. So if you watched it and you were wondering if you could deep link to some of the questions to share, go back to the video. They're there now in the description box, and please share them. Next, we're going to start slicing things up in the clips, which will even be more shareable. So I'm joined as always by my co-host, the man with the most cats in crypto, Connor Daly. What is up, my friend? I'm I'm happy to to no longer be monologuing. <laughs> it was good. It was good. It was I, it was fun to do for an episode, but you know I, I haven't given any lectures or talks in a while, so I'm I'm not used to talking for 30 minutes to an hour uninterrupted. It was calming. But yeah, no, it was good. It was calming. <laughs> your, your your speed was good. I rushed too much. Your speed was like perfect. I, I was like, okay, this is good. That made me think I need to slow down a little bit whenever I talk because plus not everybody in the world speaks English and I've had many many people over the years tell me like man slow down it's challenging for me to keep up with what you're saying because I don't speak English so good lesson from you to uh, speak a little bit slower <laughs> so we had another great guest this week last week he mentioned it was John Wu and uh, unfortunately I wanted to be here so we rescheduled that that'll be coming up soon and then this week we were going to have Ben Gertzel, which is like an AI scientist and part of Singularity Net. He also had to reschedule in two weeks from now, so he'll be coming back very soon. So at the last moment, we were unable to get anybody to step in. We um, have a bunch of people lined up, but I wasn't able to get anybody to step in last minute today. So we figured what we would do is kind of just step through some of the cool news that's happening recently and then just kind of have a free flow conversation and see where it takes us. Um, there's just been a few different really cool milestones. And so uh, earlier today, I went through and just captured a bunch of them in a doc. And I figured we'll just go through it and chat. Does that work for you, Connor? Yeah, absolutely. Just trying to think of all the good things that have been happening lately, all the fun announcements and you know, talk about some of it. Yes. Yeah, so I'm actually going to share my screen here. And I think today we're going to talk about subnets. We're going to talk about you know, Morales, we're going to talk about Avalanche Summit. So if you're interested in any of that, you know, uh, you know, feel free to skip around and, you know, we'll, we'll be covering a lot of it. Yeah. So the first one I heard Connor mention it last week, but I myself have not had a chance to uh, mention it. So I wanted to do that right now. The good old subnet show recently passed 1000 subscribers on YouTube. And that is such a huge milestone. I can't even begin to tell you. I myself have wanted to have a podcast for many years. And um, I've tried to have a couple in the past. Not, they just didn't stick for whatever reason. And as Connor mentioned, I think last week, it took about six and a half months to reach a thousand, which you can see by that chart at the bottom. We got a bump. I think back in January was when Goon was on, if I'm correct. You can correct me if I'm wrong. The, there, the subnet. Uh, so I think, yeah, we had like three good episodes. Oh, in that was the we one before the... Goon. I think we had yeah, the one that blew up right before Goon. That's right. Yeah, yeah. The it was the intro to subnets and then the uh, goon interview. Those both did very well, and yep. uh, you put us on a good good start to the year. Yeah, they're both sitting over four thousand right now, which is a you know again, it's a humble small number relatively. It's also relatively a huge number, and I appreciate it. So anyway, we passed a thousand. That's a huge milestone. Thanks to everybody who's been part of the journey. It just encourages me and inspires me to actually step up the game. So hopefully, the quality and the quantity of the subnet show will be stepping up again. If you guys know anybody who should be on reach out and let us know because of course we're trying to fill content every week and, and there's so many different people in the ecosystem. So reach out and make the connections. I think that if anybody out there in the community wants to help, that would probably be the best way to help us to actually connect us with people you think should be on this show because 
believe it or not, we might not know them or might not have reached out to them recently. So thanks again to everybody. Any comments on that? Yeah, no, I think we, we're always we're always looking for guests and we want to make sure that we're highlighting everybody, not just the same people over and over again. We love our friends of the show, uh, but we'd love to you know really showcase the entirety of the Avalanche ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And I definitely have blind spots. Gabriel has blind spots. And uh, yeah, we'd love, love to hear your suggestions. Yep. Let's see what else. So this one is also a really, really fun milestone. So the Avalanche seed chain recently passed 100 million transactions. And I saw when, shout out to Avax Holic, credit to the person who created this on Twitter there. Um, when I saw this chart, somebody replied after them. I think they, this was on February the 17th and they were like, ah, not true. Technically it's only 96 million. So I went and checked today on our official stats page. And I believe it's over 101 million now. So it is true that Avalanche has in fact had over, our C-chain has had over 100 million. Let's see down here, cumulative TX count. And it's over 100 million, 101. Uh, that is a really staggering number, and that is a crazy chart. Look at this right here. <laughs> that the hockey stick curve. Uh, that is that's what you want to see because if you extrapolate out from that, it's just like my God, it's going to be a vertical wall in like just one or two data points from now. Um, if we got to so the next chart is actually kind of even a little bit more illustrative. And I'm not a. I think many people know I'm not. I think Ethereum is awesome. Um, we consider Ethereum blockchain 2.0. So I'm not a person who usually likes to, we don't consider ourselves an Ethereum killer, that's for sure. But it is sometimes nice to compare metrics to get a sense of what's going on. I like this next chart. So basically what it's showing is that in 2015 to 2017, Ethereum went from 1 million to 100 million um, transactions. And we did that in one year. Uh, it took them two years. And then it took them five years to go from 100 million to a, to a billion, so another 10x. Um, how long will it take us? I suspect it'll probably take us around two years. Um, so there's a couple of things. Oh, you're crazy. Under a year. Under a year. There you go. I like that even better. Yes, I was going to say, because what's happening is like, <laughs> obviously the pace of change is accelerating and the amount of time it takes from a nascent technology to mainstream adoption is obviously compressing, right? So this doesn't surprise me. I've said it many times, uh, but it's just so cool to see in person. And there you go. Connor says even less than a year to a billion um, I think if we go back over here, another cool thing to see was the cumulative addresses, which is- And just give, it, give this a shout out real quick. So if you've never seen this page and you know, for audio listeners, apologize, this is not, uh, uh, <laughs> it yeah, might not I'm be sorry, the best guys. episode for you, but uh, the, the YouTube metrics are doing a lot better. So audio, audio, uh, audio listeners, you, you got to show out a little bit more if you want a little <laughs> bit more premier coverage. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is stats.avox.network. So this is an Avalabs hosted uh, statistics, uh, you know, graph aggregator for different parts of the Avalanche network. So we have different tools for uh, monitoring the C-chain, looking at staking rewards um, and the network status and some validator health. So it's a, just a really cool page that just shows you some stats about the network. Very bare bones, uh, graphically speaking, but uh, trying to be all the useful data that, that most people care about. But another thing I was just thinking of, I actually was running out of disk space on my computer today. And I was kind of uh, looking over at what I could delete. And I realized I had a copy of Avalanche Go mm -hmm. and the Avalanche uh, transaction database on my computer from probably like March 
And I very quickly realized that I am never going to run Avalanche Go on my laptop again. (laughs) I do not need to sync a hundred million transactions onto my (laughs) computer and give up, uh, you know, 50 gigs of disk space or or whatever it is. I think it's more than uh, It might be 200, but pruning's coming soon. So it's going (laughs) to go down a lot. But uh, yeah, I, I'm like, yeah, not not for my laptop. I'll, I'll ask our DevOps team to spin me up a server if I need a private node. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Plus our public API is so sweet. I don't know the exact number and I'm not sure what's public, but I'm positive that we do billions, but we serve up billions of API requests through those nodes. So, you know, of course you're using a, a free public resource, but it's hosted by all the labs and maintained by our platform team. But that's another, if you don't really need to run a full node, if you just need an RPC, obviously. So yeah, I also I want to I want to call out yeah we're you're just you're hovering over it the daily max TPS graph we're mm-hmm. you know, consistently hovering above up oh, you just scrolled up and I lost the number <laughs> oh I'm sorry you're talking about the daily max TPS that was yeah yeah process. we're we're consistently about? hovering above 150 transactions per second per day uh, yellow bar chart right to the right of your mouse oh I see what you're saying I apologize gotcha. So, you know, Avalanche can handle burst uh, burst load very elegantly right now. And this is just over the last 30 days of like, we're consistently seeing high traffic moments and being able to handle it and not slow down. And I think that that's really impressive. And uh, it's something that is a kudos to our platform team for being able to uh, make sure that Avalanche Go is efficient enough at, at writing to the database and uh, not ballooning that we can handle that kind of state load and state growth. And it just kind of, it speaks again to the power of scaling through subnets because in theory, every single application could have its own subnet. And so it won't be competing with other applications for the total TPS, right? So if you're able to get up at the top, I think it says we've seen max 800, yeah, 869 TPS. This is our C chain. So imagine you launch your own subnet EVM and you launch your own instance of some existing NFT marketplace. You're not even doing anything special at all. Just your own EVM, your own OpenSea clone, whatever. Um, you're the only transaction, you're the only DAP on that network. So those 869 that we've seen, this max TPS, that's all you. And you're still getting that sub-second snowman or avalanche consensus finality. So I think it just speaks to scaling You know, through subnets. It's going to be very interesting. And then again, down here, it shows right here, we're now doing about probably a little bit less than a million a day, not let's say 900 to 950,000 to a million transactions a day. Uh, this chart just, these charts just, <laughs> I've been in tech, you know, I'm, I haven't been in the industry that damn long, but I've been in doing my thing for over a decade. And these kind of graphs are really perhaps once in a career graphs. I mean, these are genuinely the kind of numbers you want to see, right? You're just seeing absolute exponential growth on some of these. And if, again, if you extrapolate out, my God, the numbers are truly insane. And it was cool. I was I was like listening to Connor when he was talking last week, kind of about the whole journey. And I think he said at some point, like there was a time when Avalanche wasn't part of the crypto conversation, or it wasn't. I forget exactly how you phrased it, but you know, we were in over a hundred. It wasn't a given that Avalanche was going to win. Obviously, I believed. You know what I mean? I wouldn't have been here working as hard as I was, and Connor obviously did too. But there was a time when Avalanche wasn't sort of a given. And to me now that we're hovering at number 10, number 11 out of the trillion different coins and we've got all this TVL and all these assets, to me, it would take a lot for Avalanche to fail now. Um, Perhaps our price goes stagnant. Perhaps we drop out of the top 10. Sure, those things are possible, but the Avalanche network itself, it seems like it's pretty healthy and pretty vibrant now. And I think that's an understatement when you look at a chart like this. 
which looks even a little bit more powerful in this other format right here. But yeah, anyway, just 100 million transactions total on the Avalanche C chain. Now match it, every single subnet is hitting 100 million transactions. We only need 100, you know, we only need 100 subnets if we're doing a million a day on each of them and we're at 100 million a day. So yeah, when Connor says we'll go to a billion in less than a year, I could totally see that when you throw in subnets. So I actually, I'm, I'm gonna leak maybe a little little bit of alpha here. I'm not, not gonna be too specific, but uh, I was on a trip this week, actually. We were doing some work trying to kind of plot out the future of you know some of the work that, that I and my team do. And I had an idea for a, a new use case for a subnet. Ooh, nice. And I don't want to totally reveal what it is, <laughs> but I will can confidently say in the next two weeks, I think I'm going to launch my first subnet on testnet. Uh, but, huge news, huge news. But yeah, so I yeah, I've only developed on the on the C chain, but I think I will actually be transitioning over to building real applications on on subnets in the very near future. That's so exciting. Yeah, I mean, that's great news. I know of two that are brewing that, again, I'm not going to even come close to even hinting at because I respect people and I know they're not public. But yeah, I know of a really cool game subnet that's coming into focus and then another big, very popular mobile app that people would know if I mentioned that they're going to be launching a subnet. And so already we're just seeing lots of seeds being planted, lots of subnets that are in the development phase, a few that are on Fuji, not so many that are on mainnet yet. But you know, it's we're still in the first third part of the year, and I think 2022 is the year of the subnet. So I see things really coming into focus over the next couple of three months for sure, because just I know so many different threads and so many seeds that have been planted. So that's gonna yeah. be cool whenever I, we see what you build. We're still in the prototype phase. I mean, I think yeah. the first subnets that come out are not gonna be perfect out of the gate. Cool. We but don't know I everything think, yet. We don't even have our yeah. sub asset transfers dialed in, right? There's permissionless subnets. There's a lot we don't know yet, but. I, and I think that's actually been the biggest learning exercise is having real applications actually build subnets for the first time and having people tell us, uh, you forgot this API call that you need. <laughs> and like just going through all of those growing pains and figuring out like, okay, well, if you have a subnet, you probably need a way to get an Explorer running pretty quickly mm -hmm. and like things like that. Like there's a lot of challenges that come with doing this. And so you know, internally, we're very focused on making sure that, you know, trying to find the smoothest path so that anyone can launch a subnet easily. And it's not this cumbersome process that requires a year's worth of effort. It should be fast. Yeah, absolutely. And the biggest stumble, the biggest trip up that I have seen people trip up on, or maybe, maybe, I don't know if that's the right way to phrase it, but a question that nearly universally all teams ask is about validators. And you addressed it in your last show as well. Like, what if we have too few validators? Are we sacrificing decentralization? And as Connor mentioned, that's almost a feature of the platform, not sacrificing decentralization, but the ability to have as many validators as you want. So the challenge and the opportunity is to get systems in place or ecosystems in place, markets in place, whatever the solution ends up being to help subnets get over that hump very quickly. And, um, I think, I don't know if he mentioned it last week, but we were talking about it earlier today with another team. As far as I know, the WAGME subnet, which we're going to briefly touch on here in a little bit, which is not an instance of, or no, it is an instance of the EVM. Spaces is not. WAGME is a subnet, subnet EVM. Um, I believe it has over 40 validators right now. And, you know, it's on Fuji. But I think that just goes to show that there are people who are eager to validate. 
And we've seen that in other ecosystems with Bitcoin miners. We've seen that with Ethereum miners. We've seen that in other systems where people delegate stake. People are very eager to put their computing resources to work if they can turn a return on it, right? It's like and everybody wants the wag to. The WAGME validators are doing it out of goodwill. Right, because it's on food. It, it's right? all just air experimental. But yeah. if it if was profitable, if you know they were getting a WAGME token out of that, right. if they were getting Avox out of that, 100% you'd have thousands, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people doing that. Yeah. Uh, lots of stake weight. Because if it's profitable, people do it. Like there's no shortage of sharks in crypto. Mm -hmm. And if, and there's tons of networks that require validating. And I don't think any of them are, are that are struggling to have validators mm -hmm. with the exception of maybe some that it's just like literally so difficult to run the software or hardware requirements. But e even those that have, you know, some significant boundaries still have quite a lot of support from the community. So I think, you know, there's no reason to think that subnets won't be the same. If you can yeah. make a profitable subnet, people will come to you. Yeah, absolutely. And more importantly, if you can just, if you can be the one to really articulate the model, because that's where the real opportunity here is for this economic experimentation of incentivization for subnet validators. We don't know what it's going to look like yet. Are they going to issue their own token? charge transaction fees in that token and give those to the validators, that's pretty incentive. If you can get any type of liquidity on that token and a DEX on the main net where we've got trillions of dollars, not literally, but billions and billions of dollars of liquidity, soon to be trillions. If you can issue a token and have that be your fee token and then give that to validators, that seems to me like the most natural, obvious way. Yeah. But um, so... And I think the, the, the thing about crypto is when you enter for the first time, you feel so overwhelmed by the weight of everyone and everything that has come before, you know, you see Ethereum, you see, you know, the Ethereum folks were kind of awed by Bitcoin. The Avalanche folks were awed by Ethereum. Mm -hmm. And it's so intimidating to, to break into the space and make a name for yourself. And it feels so hard because there's so many talented people and it's just so challenging to, to stand out. So honestly, the best way to stand out is to find the ecosystem that's burgeoning mm -hmm. that doesn't have the same uh, level of competition you know for a while that was avalanche but honestly avalanche has grown a lot more competitive in the last you know in the last year Heck but yeah. in a lot of ways avalanche is still very small like if you want to be a content creator on avalanche subnet show might be the biggest podcast on avalanche and we've got a thousand subscribers there's right. some crypto youtube channels that have millions of subscribers yeah absolutely i see on Avalanche, you don't have to compete with those people. On subnets, you really only have to compete with just us. Yep. <laughs> but it's technically too, you know, if you have an idea for a crypto project, or if you want to really try to do something that's trend setting, you got to be at the bleeding edge. And I think for 2022, that's going to be subnets on Avalanche. Yeah. And you said a really great last week, and I haven't said it when he was on here the opportunity to specialize and to become one of the leading experts in the entire planet in this space is just unique. Again, you can't do that in web two. There's so many web two developers, but right now there's two big opportunities that I see. Number one would be a subnet auditing. So, you know, there's a lot of smart contract. There's not a lot. There's a few really good smart contract auditing companies. And of course, every time we do anything at all the labs, we have it all audited and we issue out the audit reports and we recommend all of our partners do as well. That same paradigm, but for subnets, obviously, is going to be a thing. And um, then what we were also just talking about as well with validators, figuring out economics uh, models of validators and incentivization. I just feel like both of those, if you could specialize within three months, 
you could be one of the specialists of the entire world and then all of a sudden you're a serious player in a big growing ecosystem but to back up what connor's saying i've always felt that and said that you want to find an ecosystem where your work is going to have an oversized impact. It's one of the reasons I focused on Bitcoin Cash because I was focused on Ethereum and I was doing Ethereum smart contracts. But even then in 2017, I knew I, I couldn't have a huge impact on Ethereum. But when Bitcoin Cash launched, and this was before there was a religious war. So if anybody out there is groaning, I promise there was a time before there was a Bitcoin and a Bitcoin Cash religious war, a very brief window in time when Bitcoin Cash was just a cool thing. And at that time, I remember just being so into it and there was no developer tooling. There was nothing at all. So I became the first library and it blew up within two months, over 110 countries that had been downloaded. And so it's always like that. You just want to find an ecosystem where your work can have an oversized impact. And as the C chain explodes, there's 500 dApps there now. It's just a lot harder to have an impact unless you're doing something where not a lot of other people are doing it, like prediction markets or something, but like a DEX. Are you going to launch a DEX on the C chain? Probably not but these different subnets, now there's the opportunity. Your work can have a hugely oversized impact. So one of the things we're gonna talk about in a minute is a bridge that's up now on Fuji between WAGME, the network and the C chain. So you can now swap assets between these two different subnets on the Fuji. So that's not- we're, You know, we're, we're on the topic of subnets. Why don't, why don't we just jump, jump over to that? Let's do it, let me open the docs here. We'll skip over the Morales hackathon thing for a second. Well, we'll come back. Yeah. So I'm opening the Try Wagme page. So Wagme is an instance here, it says it at the top. It's basically a high throughput test bed for EVM optimizations. And right now I think it's parameterized at some fraction of the, uh, the gas cost and then some way larger number of potential gas. So basically you're paying less and there's a heck of a lot more. That's correct, right, Connor? Yeah, I believe so. And I think we started out by airdropping every address that has ever used the C-chain uh, a bunch of, uh, yeah, wag me. Yeah. yeah, and so basically what's cool is it's just cheaper and you can push more through, through more transactions. So what this is serving for us is there's a couple of reasons. Number one, it's just serving as a test bed. If we want to make optimizations here, we can see if they're worth rolling into the main core ETH client. And a lot of them ultimately will be rolled into there. So that's one thing. And number two, we think that this is an underexplored space of launching instances of the EVM to do EVM type testing. So one of the things I really like about Kurtosis, you may remember we had, I think it's Galen Marcotti, I believe is how you pronounce his last name. Whenever we were in uh, Portugal, Connor, myself, met up with Galen from Kurtosis. One, if you remember, one of the cool things they do is they spin up a Docker container for every single test in your test suite, and they launch an instance of the Avalanche network in there. So you got all this separation of concerns and you can figure out exactly where things go bonkers. So the same kind of thing could exist for these EVMs, right? This subnet EVM, which I think I have a link to right here, is a subnet with an instance of the EVM, which is, you know, right, the Ethereum virtual machine, and you configure it from a JSON file. So we can spin up an instance of this containerized and automated from a little form you fill out on the website in a, just a couple minutes. So, you know, you can imagine um, spinning up for example, like a different EVM environment for different tests or that kind of thing. So we have something called WAGME and a really cool community has started to blow up around it. You can see here on the right, we've got NFT Marketplace. We've got Dark Forest, which people absolutely love. I think out of everything on here, because we've been giving out the <laughs> WAGME manually, which has been a little tedious, but a lot of people are digging playing Dark Forest. So props to the team behind that. There's a couple of DEXs, more NFT stuff. You can even deploy a subgraph. So what's really cool about this 
is that all of these different teams presumably have this same dApps on our Fuji C chain, but they are also able to leverage Wagme to test their apps in an instance of the EVM that has, you know, way more transactions and way faster transactions. And so it's just kind of interesting because now Wagme is acting as like a community resource. So it's not just serving the, the purpose of all the labs testing this stuff in a high throughput test bed. It's allowing other developers to deploy their EVM dApps into that same exact environment. So it's just a very interesting paradigm, which is emerging. Connor, thoughts? Yeah, and I think one thing that I'll just toss out about this is, you know, so just, just so we're clear. So this is a version of the EVM that's not the C-chain. It is not... Uh, the main avalanche network that you're familiar with. This is an entirely new uh, Ethereum virtual machine that's running independently, has its own throughput, and it's able to, you know, it's different from the avalanche network. It's configured differently, but it's configured from a JSON file <laughs> that uh, we created. You know, we tried to make it as simple as possible to spin up a new instance of the EVM. So the same uh, stuff that Polkadot and uh, who else is EVM? Um, Polygon, like Arbitrum, all the stuff that they're running. You can run, you know, compatible contracts on on here. And you know, it's it's super cool. It's super easy to spin up. This wasn't something that we had to, you know, actually co creating Wagme uh, took a very short amount of time. It was not uh, months or even weeks of development. It was probably just a couple of days. I didn't do it myself, but it's actually. Uh, super simple to do on Avalanche. It, it, it's not, uh, the subnet creation process is something that should be easy, that should be able to be done in a few clicks. Create a subnet uh, in a script. It's Look not at this. We're almost that, at a million transactions on yeah. Wagme. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. As I'm telling you, a billion transactions in a one year piece of cake. I think so. Very exciting. I've said it before, Peter Diamond, just the guy who created the XPRIZE, one of the dudes who's plugged in at the Singularity University, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar who I'm talking about, Peter Diamandis, um, says that we'll experience more technological innovation in the next 10 years than the previous 100 years, right? It's that whole singularity idea, the pace of change accelerating. So sure, a billion in a year, yeah, I, I can be on board with that. A factor of 10 from where we're now, sure. I mean, I have a sense of all of the stuff which is cooking behind the scenes and just how much quality work goes into the Avalanche Network every day, 24 seven. So can we go 10x from here? <laughs> yeah, I suspect we can. <laughs> yeah, it's really only a 3x if you think about it. If we're doing a million transactions a day, you know, one year would give us 300 million. So we really only need to go up. Our rate only needs to go up by like a factor of like three. Then, well, like that's totally achievable. Oh my God. <laughs> so I really wanted to quickly plug this. There is a Fuji token list, which you can get, I believe, off of Pangolin. Oh, it's right here on Patrick O'Grady's. I had originally created it. He forked it. It got merged into Pangolin. So I think you can get it officially from them. But you can then uh, import the wrapped Wagme token into Pangolin. And so, oh yeah. So, so let me flesh my thoughts out here. Prior to this, myself and Jovitsa and Yuland, a couple other amazing dudes on the developer relations team. You guys met Jovitsa a couple weeks ago we had been manually giving out Wagme. So there was an initial airdrop. If you had done more than two transactions on our C chain, you should have got 10. Um, but then myself and uh, those two guys have been just handing stuff out manually on Discord and Twitter. As you might imagine, that doesn't scale so well. So recently um, there was a pair added to Fuji's uh, testnet. So now you can go here and you can swap it out for Avox. 
And so you can do that. So if you import this Fuji uh, token list and then come over here, you can get your Wagme here. And if you need Avox, of course, you can go to the faucet. And then once you have your uh, Wagme, which it'll show up here in a second on my, there it is. It'll say one here in a second once the transaction settles. So then soon I'll have one Wagme, W Wagme, wrapped Wagme. You can then go, there it is. You can then now go to bridge.trywagme.xyz. And then you can actually transfer from Fuji to Wagme and back and forth. And you can even wrap uh, tokens. And so this is pretty cool because what this demonstrates is we do not yet have native to the Avalanche protocol cross subnet asset transfers. It's on the roadmap. We're just not sure what the final product is going to be, but it doesn't matter because for now, if you're launching anything which is C chain or C chain address compatible, you can use the chain bridge. This is basically just chain bridge tech. You can see it at the bottom right here. I don't know if you guys see that chain bridge. Um, so already you can bridge assets between the different uh, EVM instance subnets. And I think that is just so incredibly cool. So basically now, if you want Wagme, if you want to play Dark Forest, if you want to play around with Wagme, you can still hit us up, but you don't need to. You can now just go to Pangolin on Fuji, swap Avox, which you can get for free from Ralph Fawcett for wrapped Wagme, go to the bridge and transfer it from Fuji over to the Wagme network. Incredibly cool. So the other really impressive thing about subnets is Subnets don't need to be EVM compatible. You know, they don't need to be Ethereum clones. They can actually be anything that you can think of. And so as a little bit of a tech demo, we actually created a new uh, subnet that is not EVM based called the Spaces VM. And Spaces VM is basically kind of like a key value storage subnet. It's something kind of similar to uh, all of these data storage, uh, data availability subnets we've seen recently, or not subnets, uh, you know, blockchains like Filecoin uh, pop up recently. But they basically allow you to store some data, you know, for some key, it allows you to store some, some data value into it that you can retrieve. And so you can kind of create your own namespace. So a lot of people like to claim their own name. And then you can put data in it and you can store it. And that data, you know, doesn't have to be just a uh, you know string you could actually put like a picture you could put binaries in there you could use it to store whatever you want and i believe people are uh, incentivized to uh, store that and replicate that data so this is also a i, I will caveat it is also a, a testnet subnet it's not in production i mean sorry it is in production but it's not intended to be a permanently existing service we're uh we could wipe your data at any time uh, so don't uh, <laughs> don't too, but put too much stake in it or build uh, mission critical software on top of it. But we just wanted to show the power of subnets and that subnets don't just have to be Ethereum virtual machines. They can be small or large layer one equivalents, mm -hmm. and they can totally reimagine uh, what you think a blockchain can be. Yep. And so here it is, authenticated hierarchical key value store with the IP712 compatibility, state expiry and fee-based metering. And so I'm really interested to see, um, it's got arbitrary key value stores, but they can be hierarchical. And so I'm very interested in authenticated. And I'm really interested to see what people do with this. Um, I, I think this actually has a lot of potential. If you come and check out the API, um, I know that I heard Patrick brainstorming on some cool ideas internally. And so I'm really interested to see what comes of this. I don't think this is just like a simple throwaway dApp by any means. I think there's actually quite a lot of potential here. 
but yeah, it's just well, cool. one thing, one thing you could do for instance is use it as like a cross subnet name service. Mm. If subnets have the ability to index into the subnet VM or sorry, the spaces VM, you could use it to do something like ENS, but across different subnets. So you could just say, if I'm Gabriel, you know, spaces slash Gabriel, and I can read, read this, uh, this VM, then you have a way to do uh, name matching and address matching, you know, across different chains. And I think that would be something really powerful. Yeah. So here you go. Subnet ID, all of the stuff that's here in my notes this week, I'm going to put in the description box uh, of the YouTube channel. So if any of this stuff looks cool to you, the link should be there. Okay, so I don't think we even had that much longer. So I want to really quickly go over this Morales stuff because there's some cool stuff here. So as you guys remember, we were doing a hackathon with Morales. Been going on for a couple months, $500,000 in prizes. We had the awards ceremony the other day, which I have the YouTube link here I'll share with you. Um, it was a dim, It was basically a demo of all of these. And then they voted and chose the three. You can see the three winners here. But I very briefly just wanted to kind of go over them. And then, of course, I just wanted to show the three that won. So one of them was Meta Gymland. And so I'm actually a big fan of this idea of the metaverse. I understand that um, it opens up a, a potential can of worms because I don't think there's a full appreciation of how high fidelity the metaverse is going to get. I don't foresee the metaverse always being something like Gather Town. I believe it's going to get way more high fidelity than that because I believe there's going to be really, really high fidelity human computer interfaces that we don't have today, that we just have the very precursors of today. And so I think that the metaverse isn't going to end up being extremely high fidelity. I call it the matrix, but that's why I say it opens up an ethical can of worms because the matrix isn't something that most people want, right? So I'm not talking about the worst parts of the matrix, but I'm talking about something being that high fidelity where it literally feels like you're living in another reality. That to me is what the metaverse, where it's headed if you let it mature X number or N number of generations. So I'm very- Fun, Funny story real quick. I was just saying, so I was, I've been traveling this week. I was in the airport yesterday. I was sitting at my gate and there was a guy sitting in my terminal playing on his Oculus Quest 2. Yeah, he was there, right? <laughs> Which, I have never seen anyone take VR out in public and just be in the middle of an airport <laughs> sitting next to people. Like, I mean, like he, he had, he was even using like the hand controller. So I'm like, dude, like I would be so nervous about hitting the person next to me. I agree. Like, yeah. Yeah. But it just goes to show, you know, like it's, it's right here. And so anyway, big fan of the meta view of the metaverse. So this, this is a pretty good idea. I think I shared this. I'm not going to show the video right here, but basically it uses your webcam and then some AI to pick out your different limbs. And then there's like a game and it'll have you doing different exercises to kind of compete different tasks in the game. Um, I think it's a very good idea. And again, I like, one of the things I like to do is just kind of take an idea and extrapolate where it could go in the future. And I could see this actually being uh, very powerful. It didn't win. And uh, again, I'm going to share the links so everybody can come back and check these all out later. I'm going to skip the one, two, and three, and then we'll come back to them. So this is below the mountain. This is like a typical, um, it feels like it might evolve into something like Minecraft, right? So it's you're basically like you're mining something, you're crafting things. So, you know, you go to here, you basically pick a piece of land. You can see I've got two here. You can go different pages. I think I got one on this page as well. And then you go and you have like different items and then you mine them, you know, if anybody's played any of these type of games. Um, but it's all on chain, of course, and each one of them is an NFT and a token. And so to me, like, 
I, uh, I have a 13 year old son and he's just a super gamer. He loves it. And so I just am in a, involved in a lot of game and gaming culture. A lot of gaming culture crosses my screen throughout the day. And it has been my perception and Connor, please correct me if you think I'm wrong about this, but if I were to judge the, the public sentiment based on the media that I see, of course, I could be in a bubble, but the media that I see, it seems like the traditional gaming industry is leery of NFTs because people are associating <laughs> them with microtransactions and pay to play and all these terms that a lot of these traditional guys appear to be hating on. And I am just of the, having now seen so many different technologies disrupt existing industries, what we're witnessing is people whose jobs are being disrupted by a technology that they don't fully understand. So what they're doing is they're lashing out at it. That's how I perceive it. Myself loving the blockchain and really appreciating the potential, I can't see a world where people don't want to own their in-app items. I just think that's such a one-way door. Like, how do you fight that? How do you fight when one game's in-app items have some value to them and yours do not. I don't see it. The other complaint- Yeah, I think, or I was just gonna say, I, I think NFTs are a tool. You know, tools are neutral. Tools are not inherently good. They're not inherently bad. It's all about how you use them. So can you design scams and exploitive schemes with NFTs? Absolutely. People do it all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, can you define paradigm shifting you know, revolutionary customer empowering technologies with NFTs? Yes, you can. Mm -hmm. And we're starting to see that. And I think what we need to, I think as a space, try to educate people is like, is we're not the scams, you know, we're not the exploitation. There's tons of exploitation and scams in your world currently. And, you know, we, just because that, you know, this tool doesn't solve every problem and create a, you know, total utopia doesn't mean that it's not valuable. doesn't mean that it's not going to, can be, you know, it's not net positive. Mm -hmm. uh, but there are people who are working to make sure it is net positive. And we want to make sure that we're empowering those people and trying to uh, give their work the, the most eyes and the, the most love that we can. Right. Yeah. Well put. And then another thing I hear about uh, in the video game, some people seem to think that it's a dumb idea that people would want to transfer assets between games. So for example, here I've got this stone pickaxe that I created, right? I crafted it from some stone and some wood on the other page. Why would I wanna take that stone and transfer it over to Sonic the Hedgehog, right? That's a dumb idea. It might be a dumb idea in that use case, but it might not be a dumb idea that I would transfer it over and use it in Zelda Breath of the Wild, right? So I think there's, there's they're going to be contextual and not all items will make sense in all games. And so what I think the opportunity here is, is for some real game native, crypto native people to define the inter-game standards and what makes sense in what places. And it's a big space and I'm not sure what the right solution is, but again, as sure as I, my intuition feels like, of course, people are going to want to own their in-app items. Of course, people are gonna to wanna to transfer their skins and different items between games. How do they do that? One of the things my son always complains about is, when in one of his games he's playing Fortnite or some online MMORPG, they'll introduce a new, a new weapon or something and it'll be OP, they call it overpowered. 
meaning they don't have it quite dialed into the game, right? So they introduce a new shotgun and you can kill everybody with one shot. It's quite a little bit OP, right? They need to dial it in. It should take two, three shots to kill somebody. So I think that's going to be the challenge and the opportunity. How do I bring this pickaxe from here over into Minecraft and have it not be OP or under P? How does it make sense in what games? How can somebody define those standards and those rails? We already have standards and conventions like ERC 721, ERC 1155, ERC 20. What is the next level? It's a challenge and an opportunity, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think it's going to consume all of gaming. I think many games are not going to have NFTs, but I think a sure. lot of you know what what we've learned over the last couple of years is that digital assets are valuable and i think that there there's a way to create markets for these that are actually like empowering and i i think play to earn i i'm not necessarily super bullish on long term but i think play and earn <laughs> right. is is something that you know is actually quite real and might actually be sustainable mm. where you're going to the game to have fun and to be entertained and there's no like ultimate objective of like trying to earn money instead like if you want to there's some aspects of this game that you know if you put a lot of hours in might save uh people who uh, save people some time who might have more money than time and they might absolutely. be interested in buying absolutely and, yeah it already that's, that's how I think many people real. buy world of warcraft accounts or whatever i mean that's already such a huge gray market i'm not sure if it's even a white market but it already yeah no exists. exactly it's like if we actually just change that gray market like that's literally the perfect example of man i would really love to play this new expansion pack that came out but i don't want to have to put 60 hours into the base game mm -hmm. and you know the developer didn't provide a way to do that so I could either grind for 60 hours or I could pay 50 bucks. Right. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people would pay 50 bucks. Yeah, I agree. All right. Next we got dropper. So this one didn't win as well. It was a finalist. As you can see, I, it's an NFT marketplace. Uh, you can see I actually issued my own NFT earlier. This is me 10 or, 10 or 11 years ago. That's my son. This is Tim Berners-Lee. I met him years ago. He gave me <laughs> half an hour of his time, such a champion, but I issued, this is an NFT marketplace. Um, so it was done well, but you know, I think there's NFT marketplaces, so there's not much I can dig in there too. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Connor. Uh, no, yeah, it just, yeah, it looks, it looks well designed, yeah. Yeah, it was done well. It was one of the finalists. We had over 250 uh, submissions, I believe, in the end. Some of them, you know, there was a subset of those that were just trash or noise, but then there were some still over 100, I believe, that were quality, and then myself and Connor and a few other people uh, did the yeah, just the level of competition is quite high when you have that that many, and so yeah, and the time scale is still relatively short, especially if you're not working on this full time. <laughs> yeah, so I do want to give a shout out to all the teams. This wasn't incredibly high. Um, I consider this a, a success for a couple of reasons. I remember you guys may remember I had said to me a real success. I can't judge it yet, but is if in six months one of the biggest startups in our space had started here, I will judge that as success. And when we get to the finalists here within the next two minutes. I think one of those three has the potential to be around in six months and be a big startup. So I think that could be success. But even independent of that, I'm positive that just from a um, community and DAP and engineering perspective, the ROI on this particular project has been so incredibly high that we're going to be doing a lot of hackathons going forward, pretty much full time. We've got a couple that are already in the works. We're going to be hitting colleges. I'm not going to yet say the universities, but they're big ones that everybody on here knows. We'll be coming to your uh, neighborhood or even going to be hiring out teams around this stuff. So full-time blockchain hackathons going forward. This one was so incredibly successful to us. So here we have, it's called Cratch.io, decentralized meta streaming platform 
earn while watching or streaming. So I think you guys get what's going on here. Experience the metaverse or in cryptocurrencies. Let me get to the last ones. This is Batcher send multiple tokens or NFTs in one transaction. So I think you can kind of get, it's on Heroku. So I think they have to spin up a dyno. I don't want to sit there and watch that. Uh, Agnostico, so this is a smart contract repo marketplace. So a non-opinionated protocol for sharing and deploying smart contracts. So there's been a couple of different times in my career. I was thinking about this today, trying to think of examples where I've seen stuff like this. The one I thought of doesn't map perfectly, but at a high level it does. In the Bitcoin Cash community, when I was in Australia, there is a company called Emergent Coding, and it's similar. They have a, but their code is emergent. It's not supposed to be written top down by a human, it emerges. But the point being, they have little components that live in this marketplace. And in theory, you can put together the components and describe your app, and then you pay per usage from this marketplace. So I get the sense that this is something like that, right? There's just a bunch of different smart contracts in this marketplace. You can compose them modularly, and then you know you pay. And I think one of the big things, it also plays to the favor of gaming is doing things like, um, uh, what's it called? Whenever you share the profit with somebody. Revenue yeah. sharing? Or royalties? Royalties, there you go, royalties. Yeah. Royalties on smart contracts is something that is coming into focus right now. And I believe that's part here. So that's what this is. Uh, uh, let me know if you have any thoughts, of course, Connor. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a cool idea. I think a lot of people believe in open source smart contracts, but open source does not necessarily mean freely licensed. And I think there are some protocols who are interested in licensing their code a little bit more restrictively and maybe uh, asking people to pay. And I think that's a reasonable choice for some of the effort that comes in. Uh, not a lot of people have done that, but I think... Uh, People have to be able to make money uh, off their work mm -hmm. and they, sh they should be able to. And so if this is a way to help people and help developers make money, yeah, I think it's a, a good option. Certainly not the only option in crypto, <laughs> right. but I think uh, we do sometimes have a problem of when something is a public good, how do you monetize it? And sometimes the, a lot of times the answer is just a token, but you know, we already have too many tokens. <laughs> sure. All right, now the top three. So this was a winner of, I believe, $25,000. This is the third place. So this is a, basically a, how do we describe it? An open DeFi education platform. And I have the presentations right here. I was considering watching them, but it doesn't seem proper. So I'll share the links again to the deep links if you guys want to go and actually check out the presentation. But this was it, um, the open DeFi platform. And their presentation is really good. So I'll share it with you guys and you can go check it out. The second place is uh, Web3 push notifications where you are in control, snowflakes.network. Oh, I, I think I actually did review this one. <laughs> did you? Nice. Yeah, yeah no, it was definitely a yeah, pretty cool little project. It allows you to register uh, notifications for dApps. And so it's kind of like an email subscription service or whatever so that uh, if DAP providers integrate with the service that they can notify you whenever you have, uh, whenever they like add a new token pair to their incentivized uh, list or, or something like that, or they make a protocol change, there's a new governance proposal. Mm. Uh, it's a way to do that. Nice. And then lastly, first place was here, decentralized Q&A platform like Quora. And what's really cool about this is they said they have over 100,000 questions. So I'm not entirely sure if this was around before the hackathon. It's built on Avalanche. So again, I don't know the um, 
find details about what's going on there. But just what's really cool is that all of the questions and answers you can see right here, uh, where's that? They're all on IPFS as a big JSON, right? And then there is a avalanche transaction where the input data here at the bottom is, if you convert to a string, it's basically a link to that um, IPFS JSON blob. Hmm. And so everything is on chain, it's IPFS and it's the avalanche transaction. So in theory, you could get rid of this front end, which is what I presume, and this will always be around. I like this, you know, again, I, I was a big part of the Bitcoin Cash community. And I remember there was a time when there was, to me, what felt like a misunderstanding and I'm guilty of it myself, but I just came to later, my intuition was like, that's just not the right architecture. But there was a, there was a vibe of writing everything to the blockchain. So in Bitcoin land, there's this op return op code and it allows you to write 80 bytes of data in BTC, 220 bytes of data in BCH. And it's a different in all the Bitcoin flavors. And I think it's in Litecoin, any Bitcoin derivative, you can write a little bit of data to the blockchain. Um, and so there was these protocols that allowed you to, over the course of five or 10 transactions, write 220 bytes to each transaction and then point to the others. So people were writing like dictionaries to the blockchain and whatever, and it just felt a little wrong to me. To me, the right architecture feels like this, put everything as on IPFS and a big JSON blob or however you want to do it. And then just put a, put the hash on the blockchain. That feels right to me. What do you think? I, I just feel like you took some shots at me because that was one of my first projects that I've talked about here was using <laughs> Opportune to <laughs> do some was proof of existence. It's true though. But I'm, I'm going to let it go. I'm, I'm going to let it go this time if you promise not to say that ever again. There must be like a, a 10 gigs on the Bitcoin Cash blockchain still to this day that I'm guilty of writing to. So I'm there with you. So anyway, this one first place. And I think this is actually really cool. Um, to me, the, the hackathon was extremely successful. As I said, we had a bunch of connections and great connections with VCs. It was great working with Morales. Um, and as I said, our intention is to have a full-time hackathon, something going forward. We've already started the plans. We had a meeting this week. I have a meeting again tomorrow. So a big college is coming up next. We're going to have one in um, Barcelona, which I guess we can probably skip over this particular one. We'll save this for next week. So the next thing I think we should just say is that the uh, Avalanche Summit is three weeks away. It's coming very close. I myself will be there. Connor will be there. We're doing an episode of the Subnet Show. If you guys have any idea what exactly we should cover, please let us know. We don't have that planned yet. Uh, my intention was to just kind of see who's in town and maybe pull a few different people on stage with us. If we should do something a bit more formal, Connor, if you've got an idea, if somebody out there has an idea, let us know. Um, and then myself, I'm also going to do a half an hour developer presentation. Still, that's coming into focus as well. And then we have this speaker submission form. Again, all these links are going to be in the description if you're on YouTube. It may take a second, but um, oh, something went wrong. Let's see. I'll try again in a minute. But yeah, we have a speaker submission form. If you know anybody who should speak or have a, uh, a panel or something uh, in Barcelona, let us know. Again, the best, the best analogy I can use is if you remember how epic Lisbon was and it was truly off the hook, that was just a prototype of what we're doing in Barcelona. And Barcelona is a whole week and it's just avalanche. So there's a lot of content to fill. And we, it's a huge opportunity. If you're a person out there and you're in the ecosystem and you want to pump your project, pump your library, pump your thing, this is a great opportunity. So I'll share the link if it's still available. It should be. I saw it earlier today. Speaker submission form. You looking forward to Barcelona, Connor? Oh, absolutely. Now you're, I have a, a Twitter thread that I want to write. I've, I've been a little bit lazy lately. My, my morning routine has been a little disrupted, so I haven't been writing as much recently. 
But one of the threads that I've been planning to write for months is how to make the most of a crypto conference. Nice. And in particular, uh, Avalanche Summit. So if you are a project or a, you know, you're a founder or whatever, you 100% need to have t-shirts for your team with your project because it is so helpful when you talk to someone, if they have their project representation of like, oh, those are the stake DAO people. Mm-hmm. Oh, those are the, um, what were some of the other shirts that we saw? Arrows. You know, that's three, was that's the Ave team. Like, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, seriously, it's just um, Hus- Husky DAO. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a super great way. And it takes a couple of weeks to get shirts. So this is your last minute reminder that you definitely 100% should uh, get matching shirts for all your team and wear them. Yep. Yeah, I'm really excited about that one. It's going to be uh, very, very exciting. And um, let's see what else. I think pretty much that's a bit. It's been about an hour, so I think we can start wrapping it up. I think we can go with the classic closing. If you want to follow myself on Twitter, it's CG Cardona, C-A-R-D-O-N-A. It's my initials. Um, and then Connor is D-A-S underscore Connor, Das Connor. Want to spell it? D-A-S underscore C-O-N-N-O-R. Too many, too many ways to spell Connor. Yes. And then also, of course, subscribe to the channel and please click like. I've refrained from that in the past, but we really are doing a concerted effort to grow the channel. We've hit 1,000, so we can hit 10,000. We can hit 100,000. As Connor said, other ecosystems, there are channels which have a million subscribers. We're so early in the game, you guys. I can't overstate this. Um, this is a sprint and it's a marathon. People like myself and Connor and other people who are watching this, everybody who's watching this who's in the game is in the trenches. And we're like putting those hours and I'm glad to hear that Connor said his work-life balance is coming into focus and mine is as well. My team is blowing up and I'm delegating more and more engineering tasks to my team. So it's nice to see those things come into focus, but it's still a marathon and it goes beyond four years. It goes beyond 10 years. You know, as long as you can put into this game, Avalanche, again, it's just, Connor said it so well. I wish I could remember exactly how you said it, but it's funny to think that there was a time when Avalanche wasn't a given. And I don't know if that's the right word, but again, to me, it would take so much now to shut down the network. So therefore the opportunity is sort of open-ended on this. And as big as we are today, 500 apps on our C chain, we're still way small. Talk to us in a year, talk to us in 10 years. So this is still a great opportunity for your work to have an oversized impact. And this is still a work, uh, still an opportunity of a place to dedicate and really see the seeds you plant now bear fruit over and over going forward. So I just encourage everybody to, you know, find their niche in this ecosystem and really just flourish and grow. And also we have a Discord channel. Um, we have chat dot subnet dot show that's a subnet one and we also have chat.avox.network and one of the things we're doing as we roll off this morales hackathon is we're going to be revamping um i know the avox um discord to try and better support startups and developers so be looking for a bunch of positive action there and uh connor any last minute thoughts yeah no if you uh if you like this video but you wanted to take it on the road with you We do have an audio version of this show. It's available on podcast services around the globe. Uh, Basically, we're on we're on every service. So definitely check that out. Um, But yeah, thank thanks so much for joining us. Yep, that's it. So I'll close it up. We'll see you guys next week. We have a really good guest book for next week and the one after that as well. So the next two weeks are going to be very exciting. Uh, We'll see you guys next week. And as always, from Snowflake to Avalanche and through Consensus. 
to the stars. Thank you so much, everybody. Cheers.